Have you ever felt like you weren't enough? Like you couldn't give enough? Like you didn't have enough? Like you weren't able to be enough? I remember when I first became a pastor here at this church. Um, I was fresh out of seminary, 25 years old. I had uh, a wife who was married to Carrie uh, already. We had two kids. Uh, this church was a church of about 80 people or so. And um, I was following a pastor who was retiring, a great, a great man. And as he left, he also took with him, he stole um, the only musician we had in the entire church. And it happened to be his wife that went with him, so I, I, I didn't fault him for that. But um, it, was, it was interesting. And I remember we had no church computer. Um, we had no internet connection. Um, what we did have is uh, file folders. We had lots and lots and lots of file folders filled with like old bulletins and old newsletters and every single member family had a file. I didn't even look at all of them because I don't know what would be in the file, but there was files for everyone. And my, my dad, he's a pastor and he and my mom were up to, uh, for the installation and then help my dad especially kind of get my feet on the ground. And I remember a few days after the installation, he and my mom leaving for home and I remember vividly, no joke, I was sitting on the floor of my office with file folders all around me thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I had this feeling, it was this, that I'm not enough. And depending on your age, almost everyone in this room is old enough to have had a situation where you have felt this exact same way. Whether it's with a new job that you're trying to navigate, or maybe it's just a new project at your old job, uh, maybe it's a relationship that you're trying to keep afloat and you just don't feel like you're enough, maybe it's trying to get into the right school or trying to make the team, maybe it's financially you don't feel like you're enough. Maybe it's when you first became a parent, you didn't feel like you're enough. Or maybe, like me, it's like every single day of being a parent that never goes away. I don't feel like I'm enough. And a lot of times where this gets worse is getting into the habit that all of us find ourselves doing at one time or another, which is comparing our enough with the things that other people have or the skills that other people have. And that certainly leads us nowhere good when it comes to feeling like we have enough. And then what makes it even worse is that you hear messages like this from, from culture or maybe even from a good friend, something like this. You just need to believe just believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself and work hard, you can accomplish anything. Nope. I can tell you why, or at least I can give you a reason why I can be so confident because some of you know this, but when I was younger, I wanted to play in the NBA. And I believed, and I was on the bat, I worked hard. There's no doubt about it. But all the belief in the world was not going to make me 6'6 
with a 40-inch vertical. <laughs> and the truth is, you've probably been in a similar place. You might have done the absolute best that you could do, and you still didn't get the job. You did the absolute best that you could do, and the test score still didn't come back the way you wanted it. You did the absolute best that you could do, and it still feels like you weren't enough. And that can be a very difficult place to be. It can be very discouraging. Well, today, Jesus has some encouragement for discouraged hearts. Today, in the miracle that we get to look at together, Jesus is going to teach not only you, but his 12 disciples who are with him that day, how to feel and what to think about when you're in situations where you don't feel like you're enough. I'm going to say it this way as kind of, uh, and then we're going to talk about it. Our first fill-in for today, if you're new with us, uh, we have fill-in-the-blanks. Uh, there's a sermon notes page in your bulletin, and you're welcome to use that if you'd like. But here's our first fill-in. You may not feel enough, but that doesn't mean you don't have enough. And if that doesn't quite make sense to you, that's why we have the rest of the message. We're going we're gonna to weed this out. We're going to talk about it. But one little clue about that doesn't mean you don't have enough is that sometimes the enough that you need may not be in you. It may be someone else's enough that will be given to you. So we've been in this message series where we've been looking at the biography of Jesus that was written by one of his best friends and one of his 12 disciples. His name was, um, was John. And very interesting biography, very interesting gospel that John wrote because uh, he really took us on his own personal journey of faith. You see, and you've heard us talk about this, John recognized that for people to believe that a human being that they see with their eyes and they hear speak with their mouth and walk around the earth is not just a human, but the son of God, that was, can you believe this? Hard to believe back then. And not a lot has changed. It's hard to believe that today too, if someone got in front of you and said, hey, I, I'm the son of God. But what John recognized and what he wanted to share with his readers is that his faith grew over time. His trust in who Jesus was grew as he watched Jesus. And so he wrote his biography around seven, he called them signs. These were seven miracles that Jesus did, not just to wow people, not just to you know, impress people, but instead to teach people about who he was and also what he does for you, what he can do. And so today we're going to be looking at uh, a miracle that Jesus did. Uh, I'll give you the miracle. He, we're going to be looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000, which was actually more than 5,000. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is the only one of Jesus' seven miracles that John records that is found in all four of the Gospels. And a little bit of a background on the context. So when Jesus changed water into wine, this was at the very beginning of his three-year public ministry. 
Jesus feeding the 5,000, the best that we can tell, was at the beginning of his third and final year of um, his ministry. And so all along the way, as Jesus is with his 12 disciples, he's not only teaching people about who he is and why he's come, but the reason why he had 12 people follow him so closely and be with him so much was that he was also mentoring these 12 to be the leaders of the church after he left. Now, do you think that after Jesus died and left this earth, that the 12 disciples who were entrusted with now leading the church might have ever felt like they weren't enough? Like probably every single day, right? And so this, this miracle, I think, is something that the disciples would have taken with them as confidence, and how to react in those moments when you don't feel like you're enough. We're going to turn to John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. So basically, he goes to the northernmost part of the Sea of Galilee, where very few people are. And just a little bit of context about why, we see in, in Matthew's gospel that what happened right before this was that Jesus' cousin, you know his name, most of you. His name was John the Baptist. You recognize that name. Um, he had just been executed by King Herod. And so, as you might expect, if one of your relatives or one of your good friends was just killed, this is something that really, um, really was heavy for Jesus. And so he needed some time away. He wanted some time to grieve and to process and to pray. But if you're Jesus, it's hard to get away from people. So even as he goes to this far side of the Sea of Galilee, a great crowd of people followed him because... They had seen him do these miracles. They saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He tried to get away from them some more to find some peace, to find some opportunity to just be with the Father. And he sat down with his disciples. Um, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Do you think the crowd stopped following him? Next verse. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. Now, when I look out here today in the room, I see a great crowd, maybe around 200 or a little bit more people. What Jesus had following him, as we're told, was not just a crowd. Um, it was the city of Northfield. It described about 5,000 men, which if you add women and children, we're talking between 15 and 20,000 people. Can you imagine all these people coming to Jesus, wanting to see him do some miracles, all these people following him, the city of Northfield following you around. Verse 5 continues, he said to Philip, Philip's one of the 12, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And if that question catches you off guard, like what? That's exactly how the disciples would have felt when Jesus posed this question to Philip and to the other 11. What are you talking about, Jesus? Where are we going to buy food to feed these 15,000 people in front of us? 
They were either totally confused or thinking that Jesus is totally joking because his question is <laughs> totally absurd. In fact, you know, he asked the question, where? You know, like, is there some naf-naf grill that's open where we can get some shawarma and some hummus and falafel or something? I mean, that's one thing. But what the bigger question is, you know, how? How are we going to buy the bread? It's one thing to where are we going to get it, but how are we going to even buy it? Jesus, you know we have no money. Our treasury, we're broke. We don't have much at all. Why are you asking this question? John continues. Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I'm going to put it this way. Jesus put the disciples in a situation where the best they had to give, which wasn't much, they knew wasn't going to be good enough. Jesus wanted the disciples to feel this emotion or this feeling of inadequacy. He wanted them to experience this feeling of inadequacy that I cannot do this on my own because sometimes it's only when we've experienced that that we recognize that we need to look somewhere else. Our second fill-in. Your deficiency is an opportunity to learn about God's sufficiency. Your inadequacy is fertile soil for God to show his supremacy. Do you know one of the best things that ever happened to me in my ministry? <laughs> is that three days into it, I was sitting on the floor of my office with file folders all around me wondering, how am I going to do this? and feeling, am I enough? Although we would never choose it, one of the best places you could ever be is in a situation, and we've all experienced them, where we recognize that the best we have to give in the situation, the best we have to offer, it's not enough. I don't have it in me. I need help. Lord, I need your help. You see, still today, God gives us, well, he gives us tests. And he doesn't give us tests to fail us or discourage us, but he gives us tests in life. He gives us difficult situations. He allows difficult circumstances to allow us to grow and to think and to mature, and to change. And one of the best places we can be is in a place where we recognize that we are not enough. See, for those disciples, after Jesus fed the 15,000, they were able to recognize and realize that I don't need to be enough on my own. 
I don't know if you ever thought about this, but being forced to consider our inadequacies can be a good thing. We need that sometimes. When everything is just going great, where we feel like we can handle things, usually it's a pretty dangerous place. So, what happened next? Verse 7. Philip answered, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So they found some food, but you know what this is like? This is like me coming up here with a donut, saying, hey, I'm going to feed all you guys. I got a a donut. (laughs) See, one donut is not enough. When you're talking about 15,000 people, five loaves and two fish, it's not enough. They, they brought what they found. They brought what they had, but it was not enough. So what does Jesus do? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass. There, there may not have been plenty of food, but there was plenty of grass in that place. And they, they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Next verse. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Do you know what the disciples did? They simply brought what they had. You know what Jesus did? He used what they brought. They brought what they had. He used what they had. So let's do some math. Five loaves, two fish does not equal enough. But... Five loaves and two fish plus Jesus equals, well, not just enough, equals more than enough, equals 12 basket full of leftovers. That's the kind of Savior God that we have, that who works in you and who can work through you. And so all that Jesus wants of the disciples that day and of you in your life is simply do this. Jesus wants you to bring what you have. We need to remember that. You know why? And I am this very same way. Far too often we find ourselves complaining that we don't have the right stuff to bring, 
that we don't have the right gifts, that we don't have the gifts that we want. If only I was smarter, or if only I was prettier, if only I was taller, if only I didn't have as much anxiety, or if only I had more financial resources, if only I was a better speaker, if only I was a better leader, if only I was a better mom, if only, if only, if only. And we spend so much of our lives and so much of our thinking time, if we're not careful, complaining about what we don't have and what we can't bring instead of recognizing what he has given you and the gifts that you can bring. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should never work on ourselves or work on our gifts and just to be content with, you know, like not improving ourselves. That, that's not this sermon. We absolutely want to work on the gifts that he has given to us. But I also think if you're anything like me, especially when I get into that comparison game, that there are times where we need to repent of those times where we have not been content with the five loaves and two fish that he's given. And we're not willing to simply bring what we have. Because here's what I guarantee you. When you bring what you have, Jesus will use it. I was thinking of biblical examples about this. Um, Many of you remember a man in the Old Testament named Moses. Um, Moses was asked to... um, go up to the most powerful man in the world at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and to pose this very difficult (laughs) encouragement. Let the Israelites leave. Do you know anything about Moses at that time? He was a convicted murderer, and he had a stuttering problem. And he complained at first, but then you know what he did? He brought what he had. And through Moses, the Israelites were released. And thousands of years later, Moses is still considered to be one of the greatest deliverers in history. He brought what he had. Think about a man named David. When David was a teenager, there was this 10-foot tall giant, have you heard of him, named Goliath, who was threatening the Israelites The strongest men in Israel would not stand toe-to-toe with Goliath, would not battle him. But a teenage shepherd boy said, I'll do it. They tried to put armor on him. It didn't fit. It's like the the clothes that young people wear today is like three sizes too big, you know? (laughs) Standing there and finally they take it off. You know what David did? He brought what he had. It was five stones and a sling. He only needed one of the stones. And Goliath fell. Here's the thing. God will use what you have. He gave you what you have. So instead of, again, complaining about what we don't have, simply bring to whatever situation it is, bring what you do have and bring the best that he's given. We can't always control what we bring, but we can control whether we bring something 
at all. Bring what you have. Now, there's one last thing that I think is really important for us to learn from this miracle. Because at this point, you might get the wrong impression about what this means for your life, the outcome of this. I want you to know, this is not a message that says this, that if you bring your best, God will do a miracle and allow you to accomplish the impossible. Remember, I'm not in the NBA. God did not do that miracle. This is not that message. He does not always take five loaves and two fish and feed 15,000 people. He will not always give you exactly what you want, even when you bring your best. This is a message where at the end of it as we leave, we simply find encouragement and strength in this, that Jesus is enough. And if he chooses to take five loaves and two fish and feed 15,000 people, that's amazing. But if he chooses not to move your mountain, if he chooses to allow the job not to happen, if he chooses to allow you to, from your perspective at least, struggle a little bit, he will still be enough for you in that moment. You bring what you have, and Jesus either moves your mountain, multiplies your food, or gives you the strength to get through it. Just bring what you have. You know, it's interesting. The, Jesus' plan is very different than our plan so often. In fact, as we get to the last verse for today, after Jesus did this miracle, it says, the people saw the sign Jesus performed and they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And when it comes to Jesus' popularity, this was the high point of his popularity. This is when the most amount of people were following him. And if you read the rest of John chapter six, guess what? Even towards the end of just that chapter, people are starting to fall away because they recognize that he's not here to bring them meals all the time. He's not here to be sort of their bread king who makes their earthly life better. He, they begin to see, you know what? This Jesus being the bread of life is about something different than my earthly life being good all the time. And it makes me, me think about... Um, makes me think about the, uh, the people there that day. You know, if, if you would have taken a, a straw poll of those 15,000 people, and if you would have asked them, um, would you rather have Jesus here for a really long time on earth, making meals for you and healing the sick and giving you great homes and making your earthly life good, or would you rather him die in a year, which is what happened Almost every single one of them, I'm guessing, in that moment would say, you know what? We don't want him to die. We want him to stay here. Of course, that's how they would feel. 
They thought they knew the best outcomes for themselves and for their life. But if there was a way to talk to those 15,000 people 2,000 years later, like right now, after they've long been passed away and in no need of earthly bread or fish, and ask them now, hey, um, would you rather Jesus stayed on earth a little longer back 2,000 years ago, or would you rather have him die so that you might live forever, die so that he might give you bread that lasts forever, die and rise so that you might have forgiveness and relationship with God? Um, I think it's pretty obvious 2,000 years later what they would say. See, this was the whole point of Jesus' life on earth. Because you know where else you're not enough when it comes to your relationship with God. And without Jesus, that can be a very scary place to be. Death is a horrible thing if Jesus is not a part of your life. But even there, Jesus is enough. And he gave us, when he came to this earth, exactly what we needed the most. So, our fourth fill-in for today. Let's go to the fourth fill-in. You bring what you have, and then you trust Jesus with the outcomes. He might feed 15,000. He might not. He might give you that job. He might not. He might give you mother of the year. He might not. You bring what you have. Trust Jesus with the outcomes. Last thing to just kind of get you thinking as you leave today with this application. Uh, Here in Minnesota, we've had some ice, especially at the beginning of this week. Um, Going out to your car in the morning, if it's not in a garage, I I bet you've had to a few days um, use one of these, an ice scraper, right? Dig real hard to get that that ice off. So it's always a lot of work, and I'm usually like trying to get somewhere quick at those moments. So what I, what I tried to do on Monday is I just laid the ice scraper overnight um, on the car, hoping that in the morning the ice would be gone. Now, yeah, of course, right, Ron? Now, as you would expect, um, that worked like not at all. You know why? Because this is just an instrument. There, there needs to be power behind it. You and I um, were ice scrapers. We don't have power in ourselves to do much. But we're God's instrument. And with his power in us and through us and with us, he's either going to accomplish big things or he's going to accomplish exactly with that which he desires. And so we just trust. Trust Jesus with the outcomes and believe that Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for um, not leaving us to live our lives on our own. 
but that you walk with us, that you changed our lives, you gave us hope and a future, and, and now you walk with us and you give us the strength that we need, the peace that we desire, the joy that everyone wants through your son, Jesus, and then you use us in ways, in many ways, that we don't even understand and sometimes can't even believe. And Lord, I just pray that you would give peace to every single one of us in this room and listening online, that we would truly believe that what you've given us, because you're added to it, is enough. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.